Well, we're talking Republican primary, District 88. We've got Helena Hayes and Dustin Height. Don't forget to vote in the poll. Welcome back to Round Guy Radio as we have a, another candidate running for office. It's, we are on the phone with Helena Hayes of New Sharon. She's running as a, in the Republican primary to be a House rep in District 88, I believe. Welcome to the program, Helena. Thank you. So uh, uh, you're from New Sharon. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I'm not originally from this area. I grew up in western Iowa in a little town called Persia. But I came to the Pella, Oskaloosa area after I graduated high school. And I attended Central College and met and married my husband. And we have now been living in this area almost for 30 years because we really do believe it's a fantastic place to raise a family. And so, um, gosh, we've been married 28 years already. We have three children. I'm a grandma now. My, my daughter is married and lives in Beacon, and I have a son in college, and I have one in high school still. So I'm kind of on the end of the parenting spectrum now, which has been, been uh, exciting because I've taken a new direction in my life. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of different things. My degree is in environmental science and biology, and I started off as the, um, I did some work with the Corps of Engineers at Lake Red Rock, and then went to the, uh, County, uh, Haska County Conservation Board and was their county naturalist for several years before I basically, um, retired early so that I could stay home with my children and raise, raise the family. And so I've been doing that for a long time. I teach private uh, homeschool classes, science classes, of course, chemistry, biology, physical science, things like that. And um, gosh, I've done and taught elementary stuff too in, in private classes and uh, been involved a lot with 4-H and all, all kinds of different youth programs in the county. And, and I've just had a wonderful time, especially just serving the community over the years in the capacity of, uh, especially with youth and children. So what, what is, what's going on that's, uh, that's made you decide that this is the right time for you to run for uh, house rep? Well, last year in Pella, my, my experience, my, my desire to do this actually started with a single incident. I am probably like a lot of people right now who are observers to politics, they sort of watch from a distance and they listen, but they may vote, but they may not necessarily get involved in anybody's campaign. They may not necessarily, um, oh, you know, run for any office or anything. But last June, we had an incident in Pella in which a 15-year-old girl went topless at the pool. And she did so because she identified as a boy. And of course, boy, she doesn't need to, you know, her idea is that she didn't need to, uh, you know, cover her top half. And as you can imagine, Pella's parents and grandparents were in quite an uproar. And that pool is run by the city council. So the very next city council meeting was standing room only and overflow crowd outside and my neighbor had called me up about 30 minutes before the meeting. To, she said, hey, you want to go to this meeting? There's going to be a ton of people there, and they're going to be discussing the pool. And I said, sure, I'm not doing anything tonight. So I went, and I watched 
person after person, mom and then a dad and then grandma and another mom, over and over go up to that microphone. You know how they do this at city council meetings. They have three minutes that they could address the council members. And one by one, they express their concern over what had happened. And what amazed me, at the end of that meeting, the city council voted to take no further action against this. And the reason why was because gender identity is in the Iowa Civil Rights Code, and it was put in 2007 under Chet Colbert, uh, his uh, time in office. And uh, as I watched that, I, and I went to the microphone too, and I expressed some of my concerns. Very first time I'd even spoken at a city council meeting. I went home that night and I thought, unbelievable. How unbelievable that you could sit there on an elected position and listen to dozens and dozens of people concerned about your community come forward and, and then you say, we're not going to do anything about it. So that was how I began to turn my attention to things in the political realm. So I, I founded a, a group called Protect My Innocence. And we originally started out specifically for a bill, uh, House File 272, which was to strike gender identity out of the Civil Rights Code. It was drafted and, and submitted by Dean Fisher. And, and of course, he's in the House and, and he's, still running, he's running for re-election this year. And we, we began a petition to gather signatures to ask the, the, uh, our, our elected officials at the Capitol to do something about gender identity because here we have a city council and now we know we have all these school boards and all these different entities that are, they have fear. They, they fear this, this particular thing in the law because they're afraid of a lawsuit and they don't want to come against it. And so because of these two words, they, um, they don't do anything oftentimes. And that's exactly what happened council. So going back just a little bit, the Protect My Innocence group, we, we began to uh, inform citizens, mobilize people who would like to uh, do something about this. We began to take groups to the state capitol and meet with legislatures. We've met with senators. We've met with other groups up there like Moms for Liberty and different patriotic groups, freedom groups, um, health freedom groups, and began to see, here's the kicker, we began to see how pervasive this is across the state of Iowa. Almost every school district has some kind of issue or challenge regarding gender identity and transgenderism in the schools and in the public libraries. And so um, this is a huge issue. So we began to just make our mission about the sexualization of children. Because there is a an assault on our children today, they, they there's a movement to sexualize them at an early age, and there's not enough pushback against it. And we, as a grandma and as a mother, and you, we are the ones that need to protect the children. Who else is going to protect them if not us? Because they truly are our future and. You know, I've been studying a lot about this, and I'm, I'm sorry, you can interrupt me anytime, but, you know, what I've learned is that when you sexualize a child at a young age, you destabilize them. 
Okay, you actually, even just by questioning their gender and, and putting those little seeds into their little uh, fragile minds when they're, they're very um, sensitive and they're easily manipulated, you put those little seeds in there and you destabilize their very being. That makes them vulnerable to manipulation as they begin to grow and as they get older. And, and I, I heard, you know, Jeff Shipley talk in your last podcast about a lot of this, and he's spot on. This is, a lot of it ties back to a Marxist ideology where the purpose, the end result is to be able to manipulate these people in political areas later on. So the idea that you can do this to a child and expose them to um, things that are harmful for them, developmentally, psychologically, even spiritually, uh, is just plain wrong. And I know Shipley is working tirelessly to um, push back against this, too, in the district just south of you. And so um, that's, that's how I got involved, and, and that's my main purpose. But you see this go into all kinds of other realms. So now we've got so now we've got school choice. And when I say school choice, I mean the governor's educational savings account specifically. Her offer to fund the child and not the institution. Her desire that the money follow the student and not just be poured into the public school, but that money be able to be given to the parent so the parent can choose how to perhaps spend that on, on other needs of the child, including uh, sending to a private school. So, yeah, that, that's sort of a long roundabout way of how I got into, into politics. And I'm running because, as a lot of us have noticed, our elected officials, they're not listening to the people. And that's a shame because this is a representative government. And they should be listening to their people, especially when it's on issues of, of deep conviction and, and traditional family Iowa values. Um, I don't believe my district, District 88, which includes uh, the eastern half of Mahaska County, all of Keokuk County, and the northern part of Jefferson, that's my house district that I'm running for, I do not believe that we are being represented accurately at the state house and so that's why i want to be the voice of this district because um, we got a lot of improvements that we could make well uh i think uh, there's a big uh a big yearning a big uh, desire for some more moral leadership for some more common sense driven leadership some more uh just i guess old school uh philosophies that do these seem to work? I totally agree with you on the fact that the, all these ideas destabilize them. And one other thing I, I re resent about it is every minute they spend talking about transgenderism to the to our kids is a minute they're not teaching them about math and reading and science. And we seem to be falling behind in those areas. So I really applaud your efforts in in this. Let's let's talk about uh, why it's important to vote for you. If you like student, uh, if you like you'd like to have school choice, if you'd like the parents to be able to decide where to send the school and have the money follow them, which would, I mean, in my wholehearted opinion, that would make the schools better. That would make them compete for the schools. It would make them listen to the, to the parents. And uh, 
Uh, it seems like it's something the governor wants to do. I think it's something the state of Iowa wants to do. I think it's something the parents want to do. But there's only one reason that we can't, and that seems to be your opponent. Could you uh, speak about that? Yes, actually. So my primary opponent, uh, he is the chair of the House Education Committee. And the bill was given to him by, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, gee, it was clear back in January, February, that that bill was given to that committee by Pat Grassley, Speaker of the House. That's who assigns them to the committees. And as the chair, you have the power to not let it into the committee or, uh, or, or allow it to be discussed and brought to a vote. The governor's bill on school choice was never actually brought into the committee at all. It sat at his desk or wherever for about two weeks almost two weeks until finally it was pulled from his committee and it was put in um, appropriations. It was put in the appropriations committee. Then from there, it did, it did get a committee meeting and it passed. And when it went to the house, if I remember right, it was then amended and only the transparency bill, which was a portion of what, the governor's bill was at the beginning. So what that means is uh, the amendments took out the ESAs. And currently the Senate has passed the governor's bill as it was. And it, and it includes parental rights, things about that, you know, like what the parents should be able to get for information from the school and what they should get to know, like who's coming to the school to speak to the class, uh, what books are they reading, uh, what reports do they have on the child, all of those things. What counselors have they seen? That's the parental rights section of it. There was also a transparency portion, which is similar to that, that, all right, schools, you need to print and put on online uh, your entire library book sections. And, and um, what, um, what uh, books you're going to be reading. And, and it did not include, I just want to clarify, there was some ideas that it, that, that teachers had to actually submit the lesson plans, like detailed lesson plans. And that was never in there. And, and that would be too cumbersome for teachers. So it, that's just not included. But then it also included a section on civics and, and history and constitutional information. And that was really good because, you know, a great way to take down a country is to change their history, you know, uh, change how you report that history and or not teach it at all and um, take down the Constitution. So um, that's a key part of it. But the biggest part is that ESA, and let me clarify, ESA, Educational Savings Accounts, are not the same as vouchers. So be careful when you use this language because vouchers go directly from the public school to the private school. The funds flow in a direct pattern, okay? Whereas in an educational savings account, which is how the, the governor's bill is set up, the funds flow to, from the private school to the parent, to mom and dad, who then have full control of that money. They have a set amount of things that they can spend that on, including tuition to a private school, or you know, if they need counseling or extra help in uh, maybe... Um, uh, behavioral or whatever it is they need for their child, 
they can spend it on on that. So the parent becomes the buffer between the private school and the public school because a lot of people, and this is including my my primary opponent, one of his greatest arguments is this could threaten the private school. Okay, we have an Oscaloosa that we have Oscaloosa Christian School, and and his argument is this could put strings attached to that school. You know, and the first time I, I learned about the, I've been following this all session, and this is not the first session this stuff has come up, okay? It's, it, they've been working on this for years. Uh, I, I thought that was actually a good argument until I learned that the parent, each individual family now becomes the authority on that money. So if there were ever strings attached, they are the ones that say, they're the ones that cut that off and refuse to accept that money. That private school is not directly affected. All right. So the way that it is set up in the law, and we just had a forum last week and one of our senators read specifically from that law, how those private schools would not be affected. So it, we have to ease some fears that, that um, all of a sudden our Christian schools are going to be required by law. Uh, by the federal law to now start um, teaching gender identity or whatever. And here's an interesting part I want to point out too, as you listen to the arguments pro and con for the governor's bill on school choice. One of them is that, um, you know, public money or yeah, how do they always say that public money for, uh, you know, public money should remain in public schools or whatever. And <laughs> Many of our private schools already receive public money. And, and those are called the Title I funds, Title II funds, and Title IV funds. And what I've learned about that is that in a school district, okay, in Oscosa School District, any student, any school-age student is guaranteed certain funding that they, that they get no matter where they go, no matter if they go to a private school or if they open and roll out of the district, that money is reserved for them, okay? So if they go to a private school, they may access counselors who are paid by the, private, the public school. And so you see that there's already a lot of that in, in this, and the, what's amazing too, as I've talked to the private schools, I've talked to Oscar the Christian School and others that they don't fear this. They're not the ones that are that are afraid they're gonna be forced to do something they don't wanna do because they understand the details in this. And so that brings me a lot of assurance because they should be the ones going, whoa, 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 no, we now we don't want this. This is getting very scary. But no, they're the ones that are actually very in, very much in support of it because they do understand the details. So when it comes to the governor's bill on school choice, it, there's a lot of things that, that are being floated around that, that uh, arguments that just don't hold water, okay? And they're oftentimes used to put fear into people that, oh, this is, this is something that um, we shouldn't get behind, when in reality, this is all about the parent always having full authority over their child. 
if they believe that their public school is not providing in a way or is not safe for the child or whatever reason that parent that parent is the first and foremost the, the biggest fan of that child okay you cannot erode a parent's rights or their love for their child they always have their child's best interest in mind and if they believe that they can provide something better for their child, by golly, I will not stand in that way. I will not stand between their their child and them. And so this is another option. There are other options, plenty of other options, for them to meet the needs of their child the best way that they see fit. So I'm I'm I am definitely behind it. I don't think we need to um, uh, restrict a parent's ability to provide the best opportunity for their child. Let me ask you something. Uh, how can our listeners follow your campaign or social media side? How can they get a sign or maybe send you a donation? How, how can they contact your campaign? Well, I do have a website. And again, my name is Helena Hayes. So it's like Helena, Montana, but, but it's pronounced differently. So... Uh, my website is helenaforhouse.com. That would probably be the easiest thing. That's a great place to just go read a little bit about me, see what I've, what I've been involved with for the last 25 years as a parent and as a community leader. And um, on there, there is a support link, too, if you'd like to contribute to my campaign. Um, yeah, so that would probably be the best way to go. I'm also on Facebook, so you can just check out Helena for House on Facebook. That's outstanding. Let me ask you. Let, let, let's let's move a little away from the educational issues. As you're okay. out campaigning and and knocking on doors and stuff, what are the issues that people are talking about? What what are Iowans? What what do you hear Iowans uh, wanting out of their state reps, and what issues are important? Oh, you know, I've been hitting a lot of doors, and I, I love it. I love talking to the people. Um, a lot of people, you either have, you know, two kinds. A lot of them just really aren't interested in politics. They're not paying a whole lot of attention. They're busy working and paying bills and raising families. So they're a little bit more disconnected. But then there is a large group of people who they're watching, but a lot of them are watching on the federal level. When I ask that question to people, what are your concerns? And, and oftentimes they say, oh, my goodness, what, what's happening in D.C.? I just can't believe this stuff. This is, And I struggle with that because I'm starting to tell people now, you know, you're right. That is great concern. But what I want you to do is I want you to turn your eyes from D.C. into your own community. Don't let D.C. distract you from what is happening in your own neighborhood, in your local school, and in your county, and in your district, and in your state. Turn your eyes back to here. We know that politics is always local, and local people have the power. You have the power, whether you're on the city council, whether you're on the school board, whether you're the dog catcher. You know, if you're an elected official, there's strength and there's power there. Those people should be listening to the community. So um, that's definitely been a concern. The federal, everything on the federal level, uh, all many, many times across my community, and especially as I get more closer to you, in, into the southern part of Keokuk County, 
especially I hear a lot of times come up the whole the whole gender identity transgenderism issue in the schools. Definitely a, one of them. Um, medical freedom is still coming up. COVID, even though it's really everybody's kind of moved on, and people haven't forgotten what they almost lost in that and what could potentially still be easily lost if there's anything else coming down the road. So I hear that. Uh, those are definitely the main ones. And, of course, um, a lot of this stuff about the school choice. So, again, I just want people to know that this is truly, as, as an elected official, it is my duty to take the collective voices of the people to the Capitol. This isn't about my agenda. Even though I can't, you know, I have to consider my own, uh, what, my own convictions, you know, that, that I cannot vote against my own convictions, against what I believe about life and, and property and values of just, just people, you know, the constitutional rights that are given to each and every one of us, we are given those by God, and our Constitution protects them. That's my job, is to protect the people's constitutional rights that have been God-given. So I think we cannot lose sight of that, and people, whether they're local or state, need to keep that in mind. And I see that problem with my primary opponent. He seems to be... His objective is to, um, he's for the party. We're both Republicans, okay? We're both Republicans, right? We're on the Republican primary ticket. And the, the Republican platform, I love. I love the platform. If you guys can read it, go online, print it off, keep it in a binder at home, and just read it. There are some fantastic principles in that platform, including one of them being <laughs> that parents have the choice, you know, on, on schools and everything for their child which is actually what my opponent is kind of standing against. But, but beyond, the, beyond the party, don't forget that what I struggle with is my opponent is for the party. He, he's not for the people. So I want to make that distinction that I'm a Republican. I love our Republican platform, but I'm for the people. And I'm for their constitutional rights. And that's exactly what I intend to go up there and to do. So, um, yeah, those are some of the issues that I'm seeing as I keep hearing more. I keep um, talking to more people. It's been fantastic. It's been such an eye-opener. And I'm so glad that I've had this opportunity. Well, as often happens when we, when we get a guest on with as much passion as you and a, a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, things to say and... Uh, <laughs> really, really willing to say it. We we run a little short on time. Can I get you to stick around for another uh, segment? Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, this is Round Guy Radio. We're talking to Helena Hayes, who is running for a house seat, and uh, we we have a little bit more to talk to her about. So we're gonna, if you can stick around, we'll hang in there for another segment. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome back for segment two of our conversation with Helena Hayes. She's running for a house representative seat now. Uh, I was brought to you uh, awareness of your campaign because, uh, frankly, we had a different. We had Jared Klein who was running ours ours uh, from Kyoto, and uh, we we everyone in here knew him very well. And then he decided not to run, and the districts changed a lot. So, 
uh, when someone knocked on my door uh, supporting you, I, I didn't know who you were or, or that you were uh, writing, but he was, you know, I, a guy coming to my house, was very passionate, speaking on your behalf. And then I started getting these letters, you know, uh, that was saying that uh, this Dustin Hyde, who I have no idea who he is, was uh, uh, against school choice and that he basically submarined the, the opportunity, the governor's school choice uh, options. And then I got a letter from a, a Democratic state senator that said, Dustin stands strong with uh, the Democrats and that he is a, a strong supporter of the teachers union. And well, frankly, I, I support the teachers and, and and we have fantastic schools in this area and I, I cover their sports and talk to the superintendents and I'm in the schools all the time. I, I feel like we got good schools and I support those those teachers and those administrators and those coaches in particular, but I do not support the, the school union because I, I'm 55 years old. I haven't lived a day where I've heard them have a good idea yet. And if we listen to them, our schools would still be closed down, you know, and because uh, this remote learning is, is a, a fact that it did not work and, it, and we lost a lot of education and we disrupted a lot of people's lives. And uh, I was concerned about that. And I'll have Dustin on the show and he can answer these same questions. But uh, those are things that uh, I don't think Republicans in this area of the state were, are really looking to jump on board with a, uh, a Republican House member that's a big supporter of the school unions and, and has tremendous support among uh, the, the Democratic Party in Iowa. I, I, I'm confused on that. Have you talked to him about those issues? Uh, about what issues, about what, what issues again? Well, uh, about how he stands with the Democrats, uh, and he stands with the, with the teachers union and, uh, he's, he's the one that, you know, like say that, that stopped us from having school choice. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. I, I received one of those <clears throat> flyers too. And, and that was a direct quote from a Democrat that says, Hey, Dustin Height stands strong with us. And that was a really good point because unfortunately that's just it's too bad that, you know, we don't want to divide down party lines. It's, it, but but there is a lot of that. And there's a lot of manipulation and a lot of um oh coercion going on that uh creates people who won't just take a stand for principles and truth. And for some reason, my opponent definitely is not taking the side of parents. And this frustrated me last Friday at our forum because he, he did straight up say, I am for school choice. That was his words. But what he meant by that was not what most people are thinking, that, oh, you support ESAs. You support funding the child. No, what he meant by that was simply the bill that's in the House, which has to do with transparency and some parental rights. He does not support ESAs. And so we got to be very careful. And I, I, I just recommend to all of your listeners that when you're talking to your elected officials, be very candid with them. Be very specific. Go ahead and corner them and ask them, how they feel about issues because unfortunately I have seen, <laughs> I have witnessed, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to agree with this, how they can slink around answers and not give you a straight answer on what they believe 
and and what they're going to vote on. So don't let people get away with that. Give make them give you some clear answers, and and nothing like this whole. Well, it depends. And uh, what was frustrating about my 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 incumbent is that he also a lot of things. Anytime you push against, um, oh, like the bathroom issue. Like if we had the bathroom bill, basically, hey, boys, you got to stay out of the girls' bathrooms, okay? You know, it's a very simple idea. He called that bill hateful. He called it hateful, and he said that he would not support anything like that in his committee. It would not be able to go through if it, if it went through his committee. So, again, this is where the people, what do the people want? What do our moms and dads and family members want? For their children at schools, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> that my voters in District 88 are going to say, "Boys, you can use the boys' bathroom. Girls, you can use the girls' bathroom." And it's not that difficult of a concept. So, um, yeah, yeah, he. Uh, it, I, I'm frustrated with the, uh, and I know again a lot of your listeners are frustrated with the. The spineless actions, they're, they're, they won't take a stand. They won't take a stand for very simple things, common sense things, like boys are boys and girls are girls. And instead, who, who, who gets harmed in this? Our children, the most innocent of us. And so that's just not right. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I I don't think it's right to give a gold medal to the 400th best male swimmer. Yeah. And you know what? That was a, that was a big national story. That again, that's a distraction. Look in your own school. Do you guys realize there's been a, in our own district, this amazed me. I have learned so much about each of the schools around here. A lot of them are fearful. They will put a cat litter box in their school, okay? They will because they're afraid that if they don't, you know, something's going to go down. Well, one of our school districts was willing to let go of a student teacher who was trans. It was a woman, and uh, and and dressed as a man and acted as a man and everything at the school and. So many parents came against that and expressed their concern with the school that they actually let them go from that job. And I applaud that school because what were they doing? They were saying, no, no. If you want your agenda, you keep it out of the school. You, we hired you. We pay, we're paying you to teach our children, like you said, math, science, and reading. You could do that kind of stuff outside of the school if that's your you're an adult. We're not telling adults this, okay? We're not talking to adults here. We're talking to children and and the parents who get to have full authority over their own children. So I applaud that school because they took a stand. They took a stand. And um, so many schools, like you look at Linmar. I know Jeff was talking about Linmar School District and what happened up there. Hundreds of parents. And what did they do? They did exactly what they wanted to do, which was ignore them and keep their own agenda. 
And so there is a current, there is an underlying current going on right now to subvert parental rights in the school. And, and I do actually hear that. I hear that from some people when I door knock, they say, well, you know, not all parents are good parents. You know that there's people have addictions and they have mental illness and, you know, they just don't make good parents. And, and I think, oh dear. <laughs> so now we're going to basically say that our public schools can be better parents. That's a very slippery slope. So, um, no, we cannot allow parental rights to be subverted in any way. I know there's always going to be struggling moms and dads out there. There's a lot of things coming against people in general. There are addictions. There are mental illnesses. Uh, but that is not an excuse to take away our responsibilities as parents. Well, we're talking again to Helena Hayes. She's running for House seat. Is it 88? Yeah, House Seat 88. House Seat 88, basically most of Keokuk County, a little bit of Jefferson County, and half of Mahaska County. Is that correct? That's correct. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, if you guys are looking for a candidate that works hard, that's willing to talk to you, that's breaking her back in this uh, door knocking campaign to meet people and talk to people, you might want to give her a look. She seems strong for uh, parental rights. Uh, I know Jeff uh, Shipley was very strong for parental rights, and he. Uh, Got a lot of uh, flack from the school uh, union and uh, uh, people, but he just said, he says, you're not the ones out here knocking on the doors, talking to the parents and listen to what I'm saying. And I think he, he definitely did that. He was, he worked really hard. He was in a district that was supposed to be uh, heavily Democrat. And he just through his efforts, he, he was able to pull out a couple of real slim victories. And uh, okay. I think, you know, I think uh, you're, you're kind of a modeling uh, some of what he did. Uh, we sure were glad to have you on the program. Is there anything that we didn't get to talk about that you wanted to talk about? You know, I just encourage all of your listeners out there, please, please go to the vote. Go to the polls and vote. I mean, you know, I hear people say, what does it matter? My vote won't count. They're just going to, you know, it's just going to be fraudulent anyway. And, and these excuses that I think, no, no, please do not forget. This truly is a constitutional republic. Your voice does matter. Do not dismiss that. And I cannot get elected if I don't have people go and show up at the polls and fill in that little black oval for me. If you don't, then you get what you've always had, which is a, 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 a substandard version of traditional values that I believe our district uh, desires and wants. And so, um, please, I just encourage all of your people to, to go the Ju uh, June 7th primary. It's, it's like 21 days away. It's coming up. Matter of fact, early voting is already going on. You can go ahead and get it out of the way. So you don't forget, go to your courthouse and just stop in and do it. Um, of course you can request an absentee ballot or you can wait till the poll day on June 7th. So again, I just encourage everybody, please don't be apathetic. Don't just sit there and say, gosh, I wish somebody would do something about this. I wish somebody would step up and fix this. Well, we're trying. We are trying. So please figure out who is in your district, 
who's going to fight for you and then go support them and vote for them. We've got people all across the state who are pushing back against establishment Republicans who are just sticking with the party. They're not, again, they're not fighting for the people and they're challenging them because they see you guys are not leading us accurately. So again, I just can't emphasize enough, please. And talk to your friends, go vote. Let this be a, a huge voter turnout year. It's not a presidential year. So, you know, they'll tend to be low. So, um, turn out, turn out the vote. It matters. Your voice matters. Do you have a campaign event or anything that they could uh, come talk, talk to you or see you at between now and June 7th? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. As a matter of fact, yes, tonight in Fairfield at the high school. Uh, I won't be there. I'm so sorry. But part of your district uh, will be there or, you know, like Fairfield, the southern, the southern part will. That's Joe Mitchell and Jeff Shipley. They'll be having a forum tonight. But next Tuesday night will be the Jeff, Jeff and Joe, along with Justin and I. Uh, that's next Tuesday night, the 24th of May, at 6 o'clock at the Arts and Convention Center. In Fairfield? So, in Fairfield, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'll try and to we come already and had one in Mahaska County, so this is the cover, second one. Cover that event. Uh, if you guys are listening, I, I want everybody from... You know, we, we've had uh, Democrats running in the primary come on our show. We had Republicans come on our show. We're, we're happy to let anybody come on as a public service. We'll uh, give you an opportunity to talk and treat you with a little respect and try to uh, uh, let your voice shine instead of ours. So uh, I hope you felt like you were treated well on this interview. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, uh, we appreciate your time. Again, Helena Hayes, she's a uh, if you're in District 88 and uh, you're wanting to uh, uh, express your voice in the in the Republican primary, uh, I'm sure she would appreciate your vote. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, thank you for being on the show. This is Round Guy Radio with a little election coverage and news you can use that won't give you the blues. And thanks for listening. <laughs> Welcome back to Round Guy Radio as we continue our coverage of the uh the June 7th primaries, uh, we have a, a Republican candidate for, is it District 88? It is. District 88. Uh, Dustin Height. Welcome to the program, Dustin. Thanks for having me today, Dave. Well, tell, uh, tell our listeners uh, how they can follow you on social media, uh, uh, your websites, or, or, or uh, how they can get a hold of your campaign. Sure. Uh, so I'm Height for Iowa on uh, Facebook, and my email is dustin.d.height at gmail.com. And would, I would welcome any questions or comments that anybody would like to give me. Well, Dustin, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, uh, where you come from, what kind of background you have, and uh, uh, how it led you to be a house rep. Sure. So uh, I live in New Sharon with my wife, Kate, and our two daughters. Um, and I'm, I've lived in New Sharon uh, for the past a little over 10 years, but have been a lifelong resident of that area and uh, rural Mahaska County. 
Um, I have, uh, am seeking a re-election in the Iowa House. I'm currently serving my second term, so uh, four years. And with redistricting, uh, my district got a little bit uh, changed significantly. Um, prior to being in the Iowa House, I was mayor of the big city of New Sharon for seven years. Uh, I'm an attorney uh, by trade, so I do that uh, day to day. Um, I'm a graduate of North Mahaska High School, uh, Central College, and then the University of Iowa Law School. Um, but uh, so, th I mean, that's that's kind of my background. Um, I currently serve as the chair of the Education Committee of the Iowa House, but also sit on the Judiciary, the Ways and Means, and uh, Information Technology, which is a new committee uh, this session. So tell me about uh, the the new the new part of your district. I believe Keokuk County, Northern Jefferson County, is essentially what's new to you. Uh, yeah, and actually the rural part of Mahaska County. So my old district used to be uh, Oskaloosa and Western Mahaska County and Pella, and now it's Oskaloosa, Eastern Mahaska County, all of Keokuk, and the northern part of Jefferson County, but not including uh, Vedic City or Fairfield. So uh, a substantial amount of territory is new, although the, the residents of Oskaloosa and New Sharon are not new to me, and that uh, makes up the, uh, the bulk of the population of this district. Well, tell me about tell me something about the new part of the district that you're representing. That uh, what what are you hearing from the the, the voters over on that side? You know, it, it's a lot of what I hear. Uh, you know, hear from uh, my current district. Uh, a lot of the same concerns. You know, folks are worried about. Uh, right now, they're worried about inflation. Um, they're they're worried about their taxes, uh, specifically property tax, um, because uh, you know we hear that especially around fall and, and spring when people are people are writing those checks to the to the local government. Um, but you know, really, it's, it's it's a lot of the same. You know, it's it's rural Iowa. It's small town. So a lot of those same concerns, you know, making sure that rural Iowa stays uh, vital, uh, have a lot of farmers in this district. And so ag issues are certainly, you know, high on the high on the priority list. Um, and we, we deal with those on a regular basis every year. Well, this is a, a very, very rural area. Uh, talk to me about planning season, how that's that's gone for the district. And uh, I know it got off to a slow start. Where do you think we're at on it? Yeah, so so uh, the farmers that I talk to, uh, it sounds like we're getting we're getting planning wrapped up. Um, uh, you know, they were it was late, it was late, it was late, and then I think farmers just worked around the clock for you know a week or two, and really put some acres uh, put some uh, put some acres down. And uh, it sounds like what I'm talking to a lot of farmers are finished up or are finishing up, and right now the it, it's looking pretty good. Um, you know, last year was a good crop year in this area. Prices are, are high right now, which is obviously good. Um, the downside to that is input costs are also up for our farmers, and so that's not so great. Um, but what you know, what I'm what I'm hearing is um, they are uh, they've got the they've got their crops mostly done, um, which is good. And you know, we're we're approaching the beginning of June, and then that starts to get pretty late. Yeah, and uh, the the crops that I do see emerging really look good, don't they? They do, um, you know, and, and you know, we've had a pretty wet spring, um, but I think last year, uh, if that tells us anything, some of these hybrids that we have, uh, they're able to withstand some some pretty drastic weather. Um, so hopefully this year, uh, you know, we are looking at the same kind of year as last year as far as yields. 
Well, you mentioned the input costs and uh, fertilizer seems to be the uh, maybe the, the the epicenter of what what's going on. Uh, particularly potash. Now, I'm told the uh, lots and lots of potash mines and production in Russia that's no longer available. Also, there's a, a lot of potash in Canada. How how is the fertilizer uh, situation at, for the uh, farmers looking at what's what's going on with that? You know, uh, you know, I'm kind of hearing the same thing as you are, Dave. Uh, you know, it's it's price. Uh, I've not not had a lot of folks tell me that they are they're having a trouble getting it, um, but um, I, I think you know that may be that may be coming. Um, you know, especially when you know supply chains are just they're just up in the air, whether it's fertilizer or almost anything else. It seems like you know at the beginning of this uh, this uh, season, it was it was parts and and those sorts of things that farmers needed to get their equipment up and running and you know having trouble sometimes getting some of those. So um, I've not not had anybody really tell me about the fertilizer issue other than the cost uh, just being kind of I'll say it out of control this year. Um, but hopefully it's. Um, you know, not going to be as bad as it may seem like it's going to, but well, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, what are some of the other input costs you're hearing about that uh, farmers are struggling with? Well, again, I mean, seed is obviously the biggest one, and it just seems like um, seed goes up and up and up. When I was uh, growing up on a farm, I could I could uh, tell you exactly how much a bag of seed corn costs. I think they're up to uh, several hundred dollars a bag now. Um, but you know, seed is the, is the big one. And then, you know, again, it's, it's parts and all of those things. And now you got fuel, um, is, you know, an input cost that we don't really think of an input cost, but, um, farmers use a lot of, a lot of diesel to get those crops in the ground and get the tillage done. And so I think that's another big one that just was not, they were not expecting, um, you know, you could see the other prices rise, but that fuel really shot up, and I think that's kind of that's kind of a big issue for our farmers, and quite frankly, for for everyday Iowans, um, is fuel costs. Well, across this nation, we're uh, having some odd things happen at food processing plants: uh, dozens of fires, a couple planes crash into food processing plants. Uh, uh, is there a safety or a security problem or? or around food processing? Is that something that the state of Iowa needs to pay attention to? Well, I mean, I think I think it always has been an issue. Uh, you know, obviously, when COVID hit, we kind of saw how important our supply chain is for food. Um, you know, and it's something that we've addressed in in the Iowa legislature. Maybe not on the level that you're talking about, but you know, we've we've done this agriculture trespass um, because that's really kind of the next the next thing is is biosecurity. You know, making sure that our um, especially with our livestock feeding operations that uh, they are secure and safe and free of disease. And so we've really worked on trying to address that issue from the Iowa House because um, I think that's one issue that we do have control over and uh, can really make a difference in. But that's, you know, the biosecurity is kind of what I've been hearing from my farmers. So uh, we've had some uh, uh, rural crime. Well, I heard Sigourney had some uh, uh, vandalism on the square, several buildings defaced. Uh, Farm uh, used farm equipment is an all time high. People are desperate, you know, with the economy being so bad and the prices of everything being so high, it's kind of pushing thieves out into maybe rural areas or looking into barns and things. Uh, how is how is the state of Iowa 
working to address the increase in crime and uh, protect rural people and maybe use some technology and innovations to help uh, survey some of these uh, further reaching places? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things that we've been doing, and this has kind of been going on for the past couple of years, um, is you know we, we did increase crimes and penalties for intentional destruction of pro public property. Um, that was a big one that we saw a couple of summers ago where people vandalized uh, public monuments and public property, and so we, we, we increased the penalties on that. Um, you know, we continue to support our law enforcement. I think, you know, they're they're on the front lines and ensuring that uh, our, our men and women who are protecting us, you know, that they have our support. Um, you know, we worked on sheriff's pay a couple years ago, making sure that we have, um, you know, good people in those positions. You know, one issue that yeah, I'd heard about but really hadn't really considered um, is catalytic converter theft. Uh, we made that a crime and – or, well, it's already been a crime, but – um, we, we made registration requirements and all these things, you know, uh, that was just one of those kind of one-off deals that has become a big issue um, across the state, you know, both in cities and in rural areas. So, you know, we had, we addressed that um, that way as far as, um, you know, specific to the ag, you know, other than the ag uh, trespass that we've talked about. Um, you know, I think it's really just making sure that our law enforcement have the support they need. The crimes are there. Um, you know, theft is still a crime, um, and uh, depending on the value, is is varying levels. So the, the crime is still there, but making sure that our that our police officers have the resources necessary to pursue those, um, and part of that includes, you know, funding for the DCI. You know, those are the uh, the Department of Criminal Investigation, the Crime Lab in Ankeny, those are the people that kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together, if you will, and solve some of these things. So making sure that that they have the proper funding, they have the, the necessary uh, techs and uh, people that can do that work. Uh, you know, that's something we've constantly been working on, constantly been increasing those to make sure that they can address the crime that is out there. So the last few years, it just seems like there's been an assault on police. There has been a, almost a mainstream narrative of uh, that the police are bad. It kind of supports violence against the police. And I'm looking at a, a lot of instances of, you know, police officers being hit, you know, stabbed with knives and hit on the head and cracked their skull open. And I see this uh uh, sometimes as much as 50% of the police report involves something called assault against a person with uh, specific uh, occupations. So uh, talk to me about how we can keep our police a little safer. So, you know, that's another issue that we've been working on, especially with our back to blue bill of, I think it was two years ago, um, that, uh, you know, targeted some of those specific uh, crimes. So one of the crimes that we had, we'd heard about after the riots is, is, um, is using lasers um, to to attempt to blind folks, and so we we address that, um, you know, and you know, basically, I think it, it's it's part of it is is changing the narrative that you know our police officers they're out there they're doing a tough job, um, and uh, you know they have to make split second decisions uh, that uh, can be life or death uh, situations, and so ensuring that um, you know that we have their back you know that we're not going to we're not going to unnecessarily uh, second guess them but also 
Um, you know, when, when there are officers that uh, are doing things they're not supposed to, unfortunately, it happens just like almost any other group of people, um, holding them accountable too so that our good officers, which is the vast majority of them, um, they don't have to deal with that negative uh, publicity because we know that they're doing good work. Well, they sure are doing good work, and the people around here uh, support them. And with the aging population, you know, we, we really do need to be protected. Uh, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, property. Uh, there's a lot of protests going on. Uh, what about these uh, going to a person's house and protests? And then uh, what if that person's a juror, a juror, uh, 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 a county attorney, maybe a judge, uh, maybe a witness to a crime? And uh, all of a sudden, I, I don't understand that that people have actually have the right to go to a person's residence and protest. So uh, some of that, uh, you know, if, if you're on public street, you know, that's that's public property. People have a right to be there. Um, but a couple of the, the things you were talking about, um, we did um, – we have strengthened the – and I think it's called the Safe at Home program. Um, so I'm sure that you and a lot of your listeners are aware that you can basically look up any anybody's home uh, if they own their own home through the county assessor's website. You can see where they live. Um, and that sort of thing. And so what this program does is, is allows law enforcement, um, and I believe that it includes county attorneys, but I'm not positive about that one, to basically say, hey, I want that information. Well, it's it's still a public record. It's not going to be out on the Internet. So it's not one of those um, where people can just look up, you know, Officer Joe Smith. Um, you know, he upset me. I can go see where he lives. Um, we've also strengthened uh, some of the penalties regarding tampering with witnesses. Um, you know, that's an issue that uh, has started to, to arise a little bit, um, and so we've, we've strengthened those penalties this past year um, just to make sure that, you know, again, our, our justice system has to be fair. And when you're trying to intimidate witnesses, when you're trying to intimidate uh, prosecutors, when you're trying to intimidate police officers, um, not only is that just simply wrong, it, it, it affects the fairness of our system. And so um, those are a few of the steps that we've taken. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we'll continue to go down that road just to make sure that uh, those folks uh, don't have to deal with those consequences or those those unnecessarily, you know, uh, I'll call them intimidations because that's just that's, that's not how it should work. Well, how is a public road a proper place to to protest? I mean, isn't that for traffic? Uh, well, and that, that may have been a wrong. <laughs> yes, we've we've actually made that a crime to, to stop traffic. Um, I guess I was thinking more like, you know, sidewalks and those sorts of of things, um, you know, uh, is, is what I was talking about. So we've had some interests of, you know, churches being defiled, uh, people entering mass, uh, to disrupt it, uh, even a, a shooting in California at a church. Uh, what, what are we doing to protect religious properties and make sure that people can uh, enter? You know, that they should have a safe entrance and exit. I do believe that's the law into a religious facility. Yeah, I mean, a lot of those laws, like you say, they're they're on the books, um, and so some of it just comes down to to enforcing those if it's necessary. You know, I've not been aware of any any issues in this district, um, not heard of anything. Um, you know, so I, you know, I don't necessarily know that it, that it's an issue right here, um, but we definitely have those laws on the books, and if if there are things that we need to do to change them, um, we can look at them. But you know, you can't. I mean, you can't um, 
you can't be uh, disrupting the peace. I mean, that's you know that's kind of the that's kind of the the um, the main law we got out there. You can peacefully protest. I don't think anybody's saying that that's not that shouldn't happen or anything like that. Um, but we have a lot of those laws on the books to protect you know religious organizations and and, and, and anything. So uh, one of the big things uh, that I hear at debates and as I hear as I talk to people is uh, basically it comes down to boys in the girls' shower, boys in the girls' locker rooms, uh, girls walking topless at the pool. Well, where, where do you stand on all that? And, and uh, is that stuff that people should have to put up with? So I mean that's that's obviously been been uh, becoming a hot uh, hot button issue uh, around here, um, and unfortunately, as as you know, we've looked into those different uh, topics, and there's been different proposals, um, but a lot of that comes down from the federal law, from the Federal Civil Rights Act, and how it's been interpreted. And, um, you know, whether or not the, the question is whether or not there's actually an ability from the state to, to do anything. And, and, and as we look into that, um, it, it doesn't appear to be. I mean, the federal government has sued many schools across the country uh, to enforce what you're talking about, the, uh, the locker room issue and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, when it comes to the pool issue, um, you know, I, I've um, – been looking across the state where we have, and we and and you know one of the places that I look to is the University of Iowa. They have a pool policy regarding appropriate attire um, that I think would address some of those issues uh, as well. Um, but some a lot of that is is coming down from the federal level. You know, this year uh, we did address an issue with um, girls' sports and ensuring that those remain fair. Uh, it took us a while to make sure that what we crafted we think will uh, withhold and upstand a, a court challenge. I mean, that's the important thing is, you know, whatever we want it, whatever we do, we want to try to make sure that it's going to actually hold up um, and not just uh, get. Uh, struck down and just create unnecessary litigation. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll look at those issues. I think that's an important one that people are 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 uh, interested in in this election. But again, I think it's important to make sure that when we do something, we're not just doing it just to make headlines and make everybody feel good. But we want to make sure that we're actually uh, we're actually creating change and change is going to stick. Well, a school in Loudoun County uh, had a uh, a boy enter a woman's restroom and rape a girl and then he was ex expelled and just moved to a different school where he raped a girl and was convicted of both of those things i just can't see how girls are safe or privacy is being protected and i just don't understand is is it federal laws trumping this or there just isn't any will to do the right thing here no i mean i i think it really is it, it's it's the Federal Civil Rights Act and how it's being interpreted by the federal courts. Um, <clears throat> the issue in Loudoun County, absolutely, that that is is uh, wrong, and that should have been um, that should have been addressed. And you know, the moving from school to school to school, um, you know, that certainly is not that certainly is not appropriate. And um, you know, and I and I, I don't know the exact specifics of that, and you know what what happened there to allow that to happen more than one time. Um, but, you know, I know with, with our system, especially when it comes to sex offenses and people with pending charges, um, there are pretty strict rules and pretty strict um, procedures in place to, to protect the public in those instances. Well, let's talk about school choice. Uh, 
Uh-huh. Uh, you are on the head of the education committee. Uh, it seems that the governor has one view of it and you have another view of it. Uh, uh, let's let's uh, discuss that. Sure. So, you know, I am all for school choice, and that's why I voted uh, to expand the STO program, the school tuition organization um, program, which allows tax credits for uh, private donations that go to help um, low income kids uh, get to private schools. That's why I voted to eliminate the open enrollment deadline and also ran the bill and voted to eliminate what's called what were called uh, voluntary diversity plans uh, that kept kids in in certain schools um, that's why i've always supported uh, homeschooling and making sure that the government does not become any more involved in those um, the governor's proposal for esas you know that's one that did not have the support in the house it's not one that i think is an appropriate um, is not the right way for the state of Iowa. You know, when you look at school choice across the country, there's many different options. And one of the options that me and many of my colleagues have suggested has been use, utilizing tax credits and possibly even refundable tax credits to get you to the same point that doesn't have uh, maybe some of the same uh, downsides as, as the governor's proposal. Uh, one thing I've talked to um, uh, private school parents is the concern that once the state of Iowa starts uh, starts u- utilizing uh, money and giving them straight to, to private schools that, uh, you know, the, the state of Iowa could come in and, and try to uh, dictate a little bit more to the private schools, and they're concerned with that. And that's why, like I said, I think a lot of us are saying, you know, hey, this isn't maybe the right issue for Iowa. This isn't the right approach for Iowa, but there are other issues that we would be supportive, including tax credits and expanding the tuition and textbook tax credit. If you weren't the head of the education committee, would the governor's plan get out of committee? Uh, no. And that's that's always what I've told people. I've been upfront and honest. If the votes were there, it, it, it would have went up for a vote, but the votes were simply not there. Well, give us an example of some legislation that you've worked on that's helped farmers. Um, so I have been um, I've been substantially involved in in taxes ever since I've been in the in the um, Iowa legislature. My first year, I ran the property tax transparency bill uh, that really was an attempt to help uh, what is one of the big expenses of farmers, and that is property taxes. Um, so that's one. Um, a, a colleague of mine. And I, uh, last year, uh, and had been for many years, pushing to get rid of the Iowa inheritance tax. What we saw that as was an unfair <clears throat> an unfair tax on people that basically didn't have kids. And so that was uh, maybe breaking up some of those family farms that, um, that had to get sold off to pay that inheritance tax. So that's going away. Uh, we had to do it over five years in order to, to be able to um, – pay for it but that's going away um obviously the big tax uh the big tax deal this year uh for retired farmers uh making sure that their income through rent was not going to be taxed because many farmers their land is their retirement and so to make sure that they were treated the same as other retirees making sure that was not um going to be taxed um the ag trust pass bill that we've talked about you know that's a real big issue for our livestock farmers uh these outside groups many times outside of the state of iowa are breaking into buildings lying to get jobs um and then manufacturing these false videos um 
you know, securing those, you know, increasing those penalties. Um, you know, those are just a few off the top of my head that I think have made a real big difference to our Iowa farmers. Um, you know, and, and, and there's some other stuff this year. Uh, we, we, um, you know, we passed the biofuels bill to make sure that, uh, we have an E15 standard in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, subsidies for oil and gas, and so um, you know we want to make sure that at least in Iowa, that's where we have control. Um, ethanol and biofuels are you know number one, and so we we did that. Um, but there's a whole host of other ones that I'm I know I'm missing, uh, but those are kind of the big ones that we've done just in the four years that I've been up there. So why are you the right choice for Packwood, for Pleasant Plain, for Kyoto, for Richland, for Ollie, and for Hendricks? Yeah, so uh, you know, I have a I have a history of public service. Seven years as mayor, four years as as an Iowa representative, and I've shown through those four years um, that I can lead. Uh, that I listen to constituents. I will sit down with any constituent, and I have in the past, and will continue to do that, um, whether they agree with me or don't agree with me, and and talk through different issues. Um, I've shown, especially as a representative, that uh, you know a lot of what you get pressed for is is what comes to the floor, but a lot of the work uh, that you do for constituents is behind the scenes, whether it's to help somebody navigate the Department of Transportation and an issue there, or address an issue with, um, you know, a road, uh, you know, I can think of one uh, on the other uh, side of Pella uh, that I worked to, to uh, get the DOT to pave a, a, um, an intersection that was quite dangerous. Um, you know, those sorts of things, those constituent contacts, um, those are important. Uh, you know, many times a, a legislator is a person's contact with the state of Iowa. And uh, unfortunately, with government, as you know, there's a lot of red tape a lot of times. And so uh, helping voters, helping constituents cut through that red tape, um, that's what I've been doing the past four years. Well, we just got, you a, know, couple, I'm, just got a couple minutes left. Uh, I'm a very proud uh, United States Army veteran. We just had a, a really nice... Uh, memorial service. Give me some examples of how you've helped veterans. Um, sure. So, uh, you know, I sat my first year on the Iowa Veterans uh, Committee, and uh, there was a couple of bills that we went through there, and I'm, I'm trying to, that's what seems like ages ago. Um, but uh, mental health with veterans is kind of a big deal now. And uh, making sure that our veterans have those resources, um, you know, and that includes strengthening our VSOs, our veteran service officers in the counties, because again, that's many times that's our veterans uh, first point of contact. Um, we created um, uh, well, no, I guess we, we, uh, we talked about doing a, uh, a, 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 uh, in, increase awareness for veterans mental health because uh, again that's a big deal um, you know uh, the um, uh, strengthening the the veterans trust fund um, uh, you know it, it just kind of a, a whole host of things um, that uh, again uh, they don't necessarily always make the headlines um, but they're they're important to our veterans well we've been talking our guest today has been Dustin Hyde who's uh, from New Sharon he's running for district 88 in the Republican primary June uh, 7th uh, tell her tell tell her mention your social media sites and, and tell them how they can get to the polls and uh, how they can support you yeah uh, so again uh, hi for Iowa on Facebook um, 
And, you know, early voting is open now, so you can go to your uh, county auditor, whether that's in Sigourney, Oskaloosa, or Fairfield. Uh, absentee ballots have to be received by the um, by Election Day. And, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, you can go to the Secretary of State's website to find your polling place if you want to vote on uh, Tuesday, June 7th, which is the primary. And I certainly would appreciate uh, your listeners' support. Well, this has been a fascinating interview, and I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And I think our listeners will enjoy uh, your answers and uh, your, you know, some fairly hard-hitting questions. But you, you stood there and answered them all, and I certainly appreciate that. Uh, thanks for being yep. on the show. No, I appreciate you having me on, Dave. This is Round Guy Radio with news you can use that won't give you the blues. And thanks for listening.